Hey everyone, Jace here. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to tell you about a campaign for an awesome creator-owned book that's going on right now over at Zoop. Axewilder John is the story of a savage journey into the heart of a man driven mad by love, by hate, by power. As he is hounded by hordes of relentless enemies who will stop at nothing to reclaim what John has stolen. This is a real passion project for writer-artist Nick Patera, as he's drawing inspiration from creators he loves, such as Frank Quietly, Jeff Darrow, and Mobius, among others. The book is also a deeply personal tale for Nick. He conceived a lot of the character and stories while his family was dealing with health challenges for his youngest daughter. Just like real life, the story is much more complicated than it might seem at first glance, and the axe-wielding barbarian at the heart of the story may be much, much more relatable than your average bloodthirsty warrior. The project's already fully funded, so go join the campaign, and you're guaranteed to get this full-color, oversized, hardcover edition. Just visit zoop.gg to check it out. everybody welcome to another episode of the comic source i'm your host jace this is another superman sunday episode have a real treat for you today uh, many of you are aware that one of my favorite eras of superman is that triangle era and specifically within that triangle era the electric blue superman and we have the man who designed him and worked on a lot of that era here joining us ron friends welcome to the show well thank you very much i appreciate that it's uh, it's a pleasure to be with you yeah, it's so uh, it's so 90s, you know, people look back on it. I guess it's been 25 years this year of Electric Blue Superman, you know, to, a totally wild era. Now, you had come on and, and had joined, you know, you'd moved over from Marvel and had joined this sort of well-oiled machine of, of Superman creators who, who'd been on the four books. You know, they were all tied in together for a long time. You were you were sort of the new guy on the block. That's uh, very true. Yeah, yeah. When you came over, were the works were the plans already in the works to have this uh, electric blue Superman? That I couldn't tell you. Uh, I don't. It's possible because they. It was also a weird time, though. To be quite, perfectly honest with you, Chase, it's, it's it's a. It was. I was a new guy on the block, and there were people who had been veterans there. Uh, as far as it being a well-oiled machine, between each team, it was. But Mike Carlin had moved on from being the hands-on editor gotcha. to being an executive editor. And I worked with two different editors in the course of just the time I was there. The few years I was there, I worked with two different editors. And, uh, you know, so it, it, was, it was a situation where these two new editors were trying to do something that had never been tried before, which was doing a job which only Mike Carlin had done before that. Right. Um, and not to take anything away from them, Mike Carlin, you know, was really riding the dragon, you know, for him mm -hmm. to ride herd on, on that kind of uh, group of creatives and to uh, produce those books in the way that they were produced. It, it's, I mean, I'm, I have nothing but respect, not only for Mike, but for anybody that was able to do that job for any period of time, because it's, it's a tough gig. I, I you know, you kind of get thrown in on it and uh, you don't really have time to sit with a uh, with a plot. I mean, you have to produce because you're basically working on weekly comics 
And, uh, you know, you have to get things into the package for the next guy. And uh, I found it very stressful. You know, I I had done some biweeklies during my runs on Thor and all that kind of jazz. But I found this job uh, very high pressure and uh, very tough. As far as when the whole talk for the power change happened, um, I don't know. I'm trying to remember. I I know it was something that that. the colorist Glenn Whitmore had been suggesting every, every summit for the last several years. And uh, I think what happened is when we were all invited to do designs for Superman's containment suit, uh, I really wasn't intending to do it because as you said, I was kind of the new guy on the block and everything, but I had a couple of ideas that I thought might be interesting. So I played with them after I was done with my work for the day. And I came up with a sketch that was pretty much the cover of that first issue. And I think one of the reasons they picked my design is because it was monocolor, because it was just blue. And they saw that as an opportunity to finally indulge Glenn Whitmore's <laughs> desire to do a retelling, uh, you know, modern retelling of Superman Red, Superman Blue. Uh, and uh, I think that's, I, I, I honestly do think that's one of the reasons it got chosen. I think one of the other reasons was because it was one of the few designs after they started showing some of the other guys' designs. It was one of the few designs that uh, played with the S Mm. uh, that gave them a a new S shield that they could market, you know, because they made, they made t-shirts and they made a watch and a few other things that, uh, you know, by, by playing with the symbol and making it look electrical, it, you know, it played into what his new power set was and all that. So I was as surprised as anybody when they picked mine. I, uh, the, uh, they sent me basically a Xerox of my sketch and it was supposed to be my next cover. They said, we just want the next cover to be this. And I said, so are we doing a month when everybody does their design or something? And they went, no, 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 we picked your design. And I went, oh, great (laughs) okay so i did a kind of a turnaround sketch uh that uh got passed around to everybody and uh you know i I got a really nice one-time payment because since it was a redesign of superman they really didn't want to you know chop up the pie too much where uh you know i i had no idea at the time they were going to be doing action figures to this right. day, you know, doing new action figures and stuff. But I got a very generous one-time payment for the design, and that was terrific. And they did a, a glow-in-the-dark poster, and they did the watches almost immediately, and the T-shirts and and things like that. So it was it was fun. I did a couple of early morning newscasts. I went to a local TV studio and stood in front of a green screen and took some interview questions uh, with Carl Kiesel, you know, things like that. Uh, that that piece of art of him standing there from the cover appeared in TV Guide, Time Magazine, Newsweek, all over the place as they were doing the full media blitz on it and everything. So it's probably the most seen reproduced piece of art I ever worked on. That's cool. um, yeah. So I mean there were there was it was a lot, it was a lot of fun at the time. And we were told as we were doing interviews and everything, we were told that, you know, to, all we need to say is. This is Superman now. Right. So, so when people were going, you know, but he's going to change back, right? And we were just supposed to say, this is Superman now. And leave the rest up to them. You know, right. That- I, you know, I, I mean, that's, 
I think part of the reason maybe why they chose the dine, um, because yeah, for the for the reason you said, but the other thing is, man, it, it in a way it's simple with only the two colors, mm-hmm. but it's also still iconic because as you said, we're we're getting a new S, and I, I think that in a lot of ways, if you went with something that was you know more complicated or looked a little gimmicky, it would have been a little harder to convince people that it wasn't going to go back. But this mm-hmm. felt you know it it, it felt kind of nineties, it felt of its time, but also you know sort of classic you, you could see this design enduring and i think that's right. part of the reason that people still love it like i've got it you can't see him behind me because i have my green screen up but i've got a couple of statues i've got a red statue i've got a blue statue i've got action figures i've got the shirt i never had the watch but man i i just loved it i thought it was a, a lot of fun um did you go through many iterations or did you feel like it you know when you're designing I, I it, it was pretty easy no what 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 i ended up uh, designing it around was when I came up with the idea for the light bulb S. Uh, and once I got that working, I pretty much stayed because a lot of the guys, we were told it was a containment suit. We were told mm-hmm. that he was going to be electrical energy as Superman. He was going to be electrical energy and required a containment suit. And as Clark Kent, he was going to be completely mortal. You know, that when he changed to Clark Kent, he didn't have any of his superpowers, you know, that kind of thing. So a lot of as some of the guys went, very mechanical as you know as if it were a containment suit they kind of went kind of iron man or or you know high tech as a containment suit um i know john bogdanoff did a did a design that was like constantly moving electrical fields with the s i think in black and suggesting like constantly moving electrical fields uh but i think his was going to be like yellow and black or something like that i'm not sure but uh but the other ones that they they ran them in like the DC direct currents pages and stuff. They ran some of them during the course of those months when they were running those stories. And from the other ones I saw, there were some really neat high tech kind of designs. But it's possible that what you're saying is true. You know that um, I mean because I understanding it was a containment suit. That's fine. It's also a comic book, so there's no reason a containment suit can't be skin tight. Right. And 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 uh, still be iconic and make him look like a superhero, you know, that kind of thing. So that was the direction I went. And once I came up with the lightning motif for the S, I just carried that over to the rest of the bodysuit, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I mean it's not that, like it's, it's not like it's genius or anything. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, it's sort of genius in its simplicity in a way, although what John was doing sounds really interesting as well. Uh, but then, you know, the trade-off of that, something that always changes, it's kind of like why nobody likes drawing Jack of Hearts, right? Because it's super complicated. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah. And there have been some other characters along the way. I mean, uh, Carnage is basically a character that never looks the same way twice, right, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. I, I think it would have been something similar to that. And we played with a lot of different ideas uh, with Superman that over the first few months, everything, everybody kind of, you know, did their own treatment and did their own two cents of what his powers looked like and everything. Cause at one point it was going to be that he really wasn't flying. He was like broadcasting himself everywhere. Mm. But, but you soon found out working with the writers that a lot of Superman's thinking and soliloquizing, if that's a word happens while he's flying. So the idea of him just, you know, going and being somewhere else, didn't give them the opportunity to do those kinds of things. Yeah, so obviously there were, there had to be shots of Superman flying. So we came up with other ways to handle the powers. I mean, at one point uh, there was some suggestion of, uh, you know, like a, a, a computer effect around his 
the bottom half of his body as he was projecting himself as a lightning bolt. And, you know, so there were a lot of different things. It was the same, same thing we went through with the black costume on Mm Spider-Man where over the first few months, everybody started to weigh in on how to handle the blacks and, and what was the best way to handle the blacks and show the musculature and everything. And, and it evolves, you know, and, and as, as it did with this, I mean, but the other guys did a terrific job with the design. Um, When I did the turnaround, the only thing that uh, the editor at the time was surprised by was that, that I put the S on the back too. And he went, oh, I wasn't expecting that. And I said, well, Superman is one of those characters, along with Captain America and Spider-Man. He's one of the few characters that does have his symbol on both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to keep that. You know, I wanted that to keep that as part of the design. So, and of course, the blue hair was because you know, that was the joke, that Superman has blue hair, you know, because of the blue reflection of his black hair. So I went full blue hair and felt like you know gee superman's had blue hair since 1938 that's nothing right. special <laughs> yeah, technically. uh well you mentioned uh the black suit uh now you didn't you know create that that was i think mike no Zach. i did not design right. that mike, was designed mike, by mike Zach. yeah, yeah. Mike Zach. And, uh, with, a, with a couple of little tweaks by rick leonardi but it was yeah. mr zach yeah but still an, an incredible costume but but what i want to talk about here is you come from you know kind of an old school uh, you know, mentality in terms of, of cartooning and, you know, nowadays, and not that comic art these days isn't amazing, but the storytelling maybe isn't what it used to be in terms of, hey, these need to be sequentials rather than just a series of pinups, right? It needs to tell a story. So here you are, you've worked on Spider-Man for a long time, telling a story with him in his classic red and blue, which again, the blue hair, it was actually, you know, back in the day, supposed to be red and black with, uh, with what uh, Steve Ditko designed. Right, because right. of limit limitations in printing or whatever, everybody uh, red and blue. But, but regardless, and then same thing. You come on Superman, and he's still the classic, you know, red and blue costume with the cape and the trunks and the mm-hmm. boots. Um, and now, all of a sudden, both in the case of of Spider Man and in the case of Superman, you're still telling a story, but they look completely different. Is that more of a challenge? Is it more fun that you're you're switching things up with the costume? Is it more work? Like, it's at what yeah, it's actually frustrating. I when I was uh, hired to do Spider-Man, uh, it was the greatest day of my life because ever since I was six or seven years old, if you asked little Ron friends what he wanted to do when he grew up, it was work for work, draw comic books, work for Marvel, and do Spider-Man. So the fact that I was able to do that was great, and I did two fifty-one and two fifty-two. So I only did one issue where he was Spider-Man along with the kid who collects Spider-Man before we did the costume change. And uh, so it was frustrating. I wanted, I wanted to draw Spider-Man and I finally did get a chance, of course. And it was the same with Superman. I, I, with all of that six and seven year old Ron friends, we, my brother and I started with the DC comics as Mm -hmm. so many people did, you know, the earliest comic we remember having around the house was a world's finest with Superman and Batman. And we were huge fans of the George Reeves series and read Superman religiously and Batman religiously. So when by, uh, you know, when the, when the situation arose at Marvel, where my contract, I wasn't able to find work to fulfill my contract with Marvel and Mike Carlin called me, it was incredible you know, to, to have a chance to, to work on the granddaddy, you know, and I, I, I always saw it that way. Um, so it was a huge privilege and a, and a, and an honor to be asked. It was a tough gig, you know, those guys, and those guys, everybody that had 
been working on those books at such a high bar. I mean, as you said, those triangle years were just incredible. It's peak of the Superman storytelling. And uh, so it was, it was intimidating and it was thrilling and all that. And, and it's kind of left me with this, you know, that plus what we did with Thor at one point when we were on Thor for seven years and, and we did the Eric Masterson Thor where we did a little bit of a redesign. It's left me with this reputation for changing iconic characters. Spider-Man was not my idea. Right. And Thor was Tom DeFalco's idea. I did design it, though. And this would have happened with or without me, as mm-hmm. as we talked about. So, uh, you know, but they picked my design. So I, I've always just seemed to be in the car with the engine running when people <laughs> are messing with these iconic characters. It's never my idea. It's never my thought to do it because I love the traditional characters. I mean, uh, and I was, you know, and I was on the books uh, enough before the change that, I, of course, even, even then I came on and he had, he had the uh, mullet. When, when I came on. Mm-hmm. So they had already brought him back from the dead and, and he still had the mullet when I came on. Uh, they, they got rid of it during the course of my issues. Um, so I had some fun drawing classic Superman. And what was really fun about it was John Bogdanov had brought in this wonderful design of Superman that was really based on Joe Schuster's original design of mm-hmm. Superman. And when I was looking at that, it would kind of open the door for me to like bring in a little bit of George Reeves and I always drew Clark with a, uh, you know, double-breasted suit. And I, every, even once or twice I drew him with the hat, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm old enough that that was my Superman, you know? Right. And, uh, so I was able to throw some of those things in there, but I, I, yeah, I love the character. I always enjoyed drawing Clark Kent. I always enjoyed working with Lois Lane. You know, I had this wonderful relationship with Lois Lane where I, I just, I always saw her, you know, her, for breakfast, she drinks black coffee and sugary cereals, you know, uh, sugar smacked wackies and things like that. And a gallon of coffee. And that's what shoots her out the door, you know, to take <laughs> on the sense. world. So, so uh, I, and, and even a couple of times, you know, I had a chance during the four part strange visitor story to actually kind of co-script some Superman stuff. And at that point, Clark was a freelancer. So there was no reason that even though he was Superman, there was no reason he wasn't making Thai food for Lois when she got home that night, you know, that kind of thing. And so it was fun writing them as a couple too, handling them as a couple. I I got a big charge out of it. And uh, it's always going to be very special to me that I got, that that I'm associated with Superman at all, you know, just for the few years I was around. uh, But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge uh, privilege to be associated with the character at all. Yeah, I was going to ask you about about Strange Visitor. So you got to to co-write that with your brother, mm-hmm. uh, and and she very much has a design that's you know she's wearing the same containment suit basically. You know she ends yeah, up they, going to they, it was one of those things where it happened with Venom. It was kind of a natural thing that was going to happen sooner or later. I asked, well, if it's going to happen, can I work on it? And and it was a long process with the uh, DC Creative Committee and all this kind of stuff, and and it was a it was kind of a bumpy ride along the way, but we came up with the four issues that we were happy with, and I got to work with Sal Buscema uh, on those, and and really enjoyed seeing that. Glenn Whitmore did a terrific job, and uh, yeah, overall, you know, the, the character really didn't stick around long, but uh, 
it, you know, because originally it started out, it was going to be, they were just going to launch it as a new character. But, uh, you know, I think sales on other books were being a little uh, taciturn at that time. And they mm -hmm. were a little hesitant to just launch a new title just because she had an S on her chest, you know, that kind of thing. But we did dozens of different pitches for for Strange Visitor. Even once we came up with the name, we, we you know, there were male versions and uh, dozens, at least a dozen versions of Strange Visitor that, that any one of them could have gone into print. But uh, I mean, what we ended up with, I, I rather enjoyed, but uh, I know I'm sorry she didn't stick around a little longer, you know, and I'm sorry she didn't get her own series. What can I tell you? Yeah, I think it could have been interesting. Now, did you know when, when you were first conceiving ever, uh, uh, did you know you wanted to put it in that containment suit? Did you know you wanted it to kind of well, the only given, the only given was the containment suit. Mm. And, and the reason, the reason that she's in a, a blue color hold through the four issues is because right up till the 11th hour, as it was going to press, this costume was black and white. Mm. Everybody, the editor and everybody was telling me everybody loved it black and white. It just looked really powerful. You know, mm -hmm. it, it was very striking with just a black and white design. The very first sketch of strange visitor was a male and had had a headpiece kind of like space ghost and the original treatment was going to be it was going to be the power itself that got oh, scattered gotcha. into the atmosphere when red and blue saved the planet from the uh what were they, the millennium giants right yeah you know when he got his regular powers back and everything that the energy itself was going to coalesce Right, that excess energy that, and kind of be more like right. a like a silver surfer type character, you know, was going to be was, was going to learn how to become a human being. And can we still get that story? That's that's uh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I I like I really enjoyed the, the very first pitch. You know, I mean, yeah. we, we came up with a lot of of different variations on that, and uh, all kinds of ways to use the S and and have it mean something. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, so. Um, and some of it, I was working with Tom DeFalco. I mean, at one point, Tom DeFalco was going to join the project, but um, unfortunately, that wasn't able to happen. And and uh, that's when I brought my brother in to co script to, to script it with me. But um, yeah, it was uh, it, it was, was a really interesting right, right up till the end. It was going to be black and white. You were saying right up to the end it was going to be black and white. It was penciled and inked as black and white, uh, and they it. it the very, very, very last minute, they went, but it should be blue and white. Somebody went, it should be blue and white. And the only way to do that at that point was to hold her as a color hold. And the fact that, you know, she's basically was controlling energy and everything. I guess people went, ah, what the hell, let's do it. I, I had to fight to get her face flesh, you know, to, mm -hmm. to have her face still held in black. Uh, and have it be flesh because I think they were just going to go all blue and white with her, mm -hmm. uh, and and that didn't appeal to me because she wasn't just energy; she was in a containment suit. That was right. the whole point yeah. of the suit, you know. That yeah. plus the fact they she wasn't just energy anymore because somebody else on the creative committee decided that they wanted to tie her into and what was the character? It was like. Uh, 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 what was her name? Um, was Sharon Vance, Sharon but she Vance. was, but right. she had been uh, possessed Kiz by Kismet. Kismet, Kismet exactly. Yeah. That was somebody else's idea. Um, we had a bunch of different ideas. Uh, the one, the original one I told you about 
Another one was uh, somebody from Candor. Uh, remember, okay. Candor at that point was uh, ra- uh, uh, people from all different races that had been captured by that uh, alien character and held there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were going to play off of the Candorian society where Superman's electric S had become a symbol of freedom because of his interactions with Candor. And it was going to be a character from there merging with a young scientist. And the character was going to be called Synergy. And the S was going to stand for Synergy. So there were, you know, like I said, there were half a dozen or a dozen different ideas. There was a, a, a black character with dreadlocks called Chakra. There was a, a character who was a, a bike messenger who got bathed in the power that had been gathered by uh, by the professor uh, and got the powers and he was going to be called Super Streak. There were, I mean, just dozens and dozens of uh, different permutations of the, of the character and the costume. The one thing they all had in common up to that point was that the costume was going to be black and white. Yeah, so strange. So there was even one version called Sacrilege that was going to be the black sheep of the Superman family. Um, and I, I'm trying to remember what the backstory was on him, but it was going to involve uh, uh, Satanus mm. and, his, and his sister and, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, I think that version, I, there was one version where the, car- the suit was black and white and his face was red. And then there was another version where his face was red, but the suit was red and the S was black and all that kind of stuff, you know, so... Yeah, any any number yeah, was, of these would have probably worked really, yeah. really well. Yeah. Well, we try. We try to give everything some legs, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I, I was sorry to see Strange Visitor go as quickly as she did. But you know, she, at least she died a hero. What can I do? Yeah, I still think that first one with the ex- excess energy coalescing just sounds really like a fun idea. Well, maybe someday somebody will get around to doing it. I mean, you know, it's not like anybody else has used it. So, yeah, you know, yeah, if, if there's still a containment suit laying around at the professor's uh, warehouse, do they even use that character anymore? God, I don't, I don't, I couldn't tell you the last time I saw Professor Emil Hamilton in a Superman comic. Yeah, I mean, he was such a fun character. Yeah. yeah. And, and the flying Etzel and all that kind of yeah. stuff. I, I enjoyed that character immensely. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's yeah, a reason that Triangle Era is my favorite. It, I really feel like it had the best supporting cast. And in a lot of ways, it's a callback to, like you were saying, the, the George Reeve um, TV show. But even going further back than that, the, the radio show, you know, where it was a oh, big yeah. ensemble. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree with you. I, uh, Bibbo, the, you know, the, the whole situation. I mean, we did a, a one shot with Tom DeFalco that I thought was, it was interesting because you got to know Metropolis if you were on the books for any period of time. Mm-hmm. And the one thing you learned, and now I'm gonna, I'm gonna get it wrong now because it's, forgive me, because it's been years, but we, we did a Superman uh, Beyond one shot. And we talked about a lab that was, oh, Hobbs Bay. Hobbs Bay was Suicide Slump. And, Tom didn't work on Superman for as long as I did, so he didn't know that. So at one point in the story, a character unfortunately moves from Hobbs Bay to Suicide Slum, and it's like, 
no, no, they were the same place. Yeah, so same you place, can't yeah. you, you can't do that. But it was just a, a little slip up. And of course, even the editor was new at that point, and didn't know either. So, you know, but what, by the time I saw the script, it was too late to change anything. Yeah, it's just it's just one of those things. And uh, I imagine probably a lot of readers didn't necessarily uh, catch it either. But we never got uh, we never got a letter about it. So that was nice. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, but yeah, so it's been uh, really interesting to hear ab- about, you know, and it about the evolution of, of the costume and whatnot. And, and yeah, I really feel like that iconic look, probably the reason, you know, for Strange Visitor. But you 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 weren't on the books for very long after Strange Visitor. Was that just a, a timing thing? I wasn't on the books at all after Strange Visitor. Again, uh, the when we first started developing Strange Visitor, it was supposed to be an open-ended series. Mm. It was going, I was going to leave Superman to do Strange Visitor as a series. What ended up happening was during the course of this back and forth with the uh, creative committee and and all of uh, Tom DeFalco getting involved, and there there was some negotiation with Tom going on where uh, there were certain parties at DC that thought Tom was only negotiating a new uh, page rate with them because he wanted to get a raise at Marvel, which was not true, back and forth and back and forth. But there were some hard feelings and some people that didn't want to work with DeFalco. So when DeFalco couldn't work out a deal, they tried to kill it. And I went to the editor, Joey Cavalieri, and I said, but Joey, this project existed before Tom DeFalco. Why is it going to go away without Tom? Whoa, whoa, whoa. So at that point, I fought to just get it, get the four issues Mm -hmm. and and brought my brother in. And I basically, we had had uh, like the, we had a year of outlines uh, or, or like six months of outlines and then a whole year of, of, of a beat sheet. We mm-hmm. call it, you know, where we had uh, character ideas and character arcs and things like that, supporting cast, blah, blah, blah. And I said, Joey, please. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I left the Superman titles to do this. Mm-hmm. Can we do this? And he, he agreed. Uh, he gave me that. And we went through everything in the beat sheets. We went through everything uh, in the outline. And I said, if you like it, Say yes. If you don't like, if you have any doubts about it at all, say no. And, you know, I, so I went through and I listed supporting characters. He went, yes. If he said no, it was out. And I just stripped it all down to the, what ended up being the four issues. And uh, you presented it to my brother where he was very surprised and disappointed because, you know, I said, Rand, it's this or nothing. (laughs) this This is what we got to work with right now. And uh, he was a champ and he, he, he scripted it off. Uh, you know, some of it was my liner notes, but a lot of it was, was his scripting. And um, most of it was his scripting, actually. And, uh, and, and the four issues came out and I said, I said to Joey, so where are we? And he said, Ron, I, you know, I don't think anybody really wants to deal with this. I, I, the project's kind of snake bit. And, and I said, how did that happen, Joe? <laughs> yeah. That happened outside of my experience here. Yeah. You know, at what point during what conversation at DC did this project become so misbegotten? You know, right. yeah. um, and, and he said, "Yeah, I don't think anybody's interested in pursuing it at this point." And I went, "Oh, okay." Um, 
So I'm going back on Superman and no, because they had hired a whole new bunch of teams for all the different Superman books. So uh, I was out. That was it. I, I had a Superman contract, but no Superman books to do. And uh, luckily in the same way that when Thunderstrike was canceled, Mike Carlin called me for Superman. Luckily, uh, while I was on Superman, we had done the uh, Spider-Girl What If. Right. And Marvel was interested in pursuing the MC2 line of characters. So I was able to bounce back to Marvel and, and uh, do the MC2 characters and, and develop Spider-Girl with uh, Tom DeFalco. Yeah, so I, I, I've, rescue, always been, I I've always been very fortunate that I've had somewhere to land. You know, there, there there have been one or two times in my career that the downtime was much longer. Mm-hmm. But uh, during that period of time, I was I was very lucky to have somewhere to go and somewhere to land. Uh, so you know, I, I, I'm I'm thankful for that. But uh, you know, come the beginning of the 2000s, around the time that Spider Girl was still running, but the other MC two books had been canceled, that was the toughest time. I really wasn't doing much comics work and was looking for, you know, freelance, secondhand freelance and subcontracting from some other people and just trying to, you know, pay my bills and stuff. And that was a little tough. And, but then spider girl opened up, I stepped in on spider girl and everything was fine again. Well, except it was a little bit of a roller coaster because it felt like it was getting canceled every six months. And then, well, yeah, yeah. From the outside looking in, I'm sure it felt that way, Uh, and it it was never a a sure thing. I mean, Pat left only because one of the one of the times it was canceled. He was uh, one of the times it was canceled. He found other work. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was one of the publishers at the time was very interested in working with Pat on a project that he was running, which, you know, would have put Pat in front of the people that he needed to be in front of. And so when Spider-Girl was uncanceled, uh, they, they had already were hired, hired me to like do the last three issues or something, you know, towards the cancellation because Pat had to start this new project early. Mm-hmm. So when it was uncanceled, I said, so you're going to call Pat, right? And he goes, oh, Pat's on this other project. And it could have lasted forever. He ended up doing like two or three different projects for this publisher from from Marvel mm-hmm. um they were like experimental things that uh didn't end up turning into too much but you know he was able to find other work too he's an incredibly talented guy I mean, it's one thing about being a freelancer you know it, it, we don't it doesn't feel like people are taking anything away from you if somebody can find a gig you're happy for that guy yeah exactly yeah i was happy that he had spider girl for as long as he did of course i was jealous i mean i was sitting there and i was seething with jealousy (laughs) but pat's an incredibly talented guy and he certainly did a fantastic job on that book so you know what are you gonna do you know i i did a couple of fill-ins along the way and i was as surprised as anybody when uh, when he left and they actually offered it to me because i had co-created the character so you know sometimes the magic works you know what can you do but uh you know so yeah I, i my time on superman is something i'm you know really really very proud of and very happy with. I mean, working with Joe Rubenstein was a pleasure. Uh, It's funny to me that, I mean, we're far from being the only people that have worked on both characters, but the fact that we were a team on both Spider-Man and Superman is, is kind of unusual. I think, you know, uh, just recently somebody on my Facebook page 
uh, I, I ran some, I ran a commission that Joe had inked for somebody, you know, I, I penciled it for a, a client and then he paid Joe to ink it. And I, I put it up on my Facebook page and somebody said, I really, I, have you ever worked with Joe Rubenstein before? I, I, I don't know if you've ever worked with Joe before. And I said, well, we worked on these two lesser known characters, Spider-Man and Superman together, <laughs> yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Um, so that was fun, but uh, you know, yeah, he, uh, that he saved my butt on, on Superman because um, uh, you know, I, as fast as you had to turn those things around, a lot of it was breakdowns and, He's a, he's a terrific finisher and uh, always brings his A game. So that was cool. I mean, I was also going through a thing. One of the things we were talking about, the simplicity of this design. I'm a huge Bruce Tim fan. Okay. And I, I love what he did with Batman, the animated series and Superman, the animated series. And, and I've, I've become a very, uh, a very big fan of his, his aesthetic because it's very clean and very, uh, you know, simplified and, and bold shapes and things like that. So, you know, everything in the Superman uh, on that costume, you know, uh, it, it plays up the muscle groups and, you know, the chest and the waist and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so that had a lot to do with it, too. I'm, you know, I, I've always admired his work and was kind of incorporating some of that design aesthetic into the electric blue suit. So. Well, that's another thing that makes it timeless. I mean, you can say you know those bruce tim designs both on the, the superman animated series and the batman animated series they're they really are timeless i mean those those cartoons that animation style com completely holds up it's not it's not dated yeah. at all no that's true i i'll be honest i always was hoping that they would do a, a you know one or two part adaptation oh, of yeah. superman blue just so i could see the suit on uh, you know done by those yeah. guys uh, uh in an episode of it Gosh, golly, it never happened. Even no. with the movies they're doing, all the different movies they're doing and everything, they're, they haven't done it yet. Well, maybe, yeah, still still a possibility. Still out still there. A possibility. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it is so interesting to me that here's these two characters that have been around, you know, for decades, Superman and Spider-Man, and you were on both of them when, you know, the first time they had this big, iconic, you know, yeah, costume, change. costume change. Yeah, and now, now it happens all the time. How many yeah. costumes has Superman had since? You know, different God. variations yeah. of the suits and, and uh, from the movies and the TV series and, and all that kind of stuff. It's, uh, it's all different permutations and Spider-Man as well. You know, I mean, nobody's, nobody's locked in anymore. I mean, when we did it with Spider-Man, it was a huge deal. It was a big deal. Yeah, and it was one of the first times and a lot of people now look back on it, they don't realize that it, it was a big deal. It was, you know, this was before they cynically change a costume every year or something. Mm -hmm. In fact, what was interesting is the new editor we had at the time, Jim Ousley, uh, after the black costume stuff, Danny Fingeroth was the editor for the initial black costume stuff. But when uh, Jim Ousley took over, he was a young guy and he, you know, had experienced the sales blip of the black costume. So his idea was Spider-Man should get a new suit every year. Every year, yeah. <laughs> And he asked me to do designs. He asked me to do designs, which I really couldn't take too seriously, you know. And uh, what he ended up approving was basically the black suit, but with red highlights instead of blue highlights, with underarm webbing. But otherwise, it was the black costume, you know, that kind of thing. But then I was fired. He was fired. Everybody was fired before he ever had a chance to implement it, you know, that kind of thing. So. 
you know, one of my favorite issues of, of Spider-Man <laughs> that you did was when they, you brought it back, right? That 259, that issue where it's just Peter and MJ walking around the lake uh, yeah. and you did the cover on it. It was so amazing. That's another thing that people, like you think of the black costume, you think of Venom and people think, oh yeah, that black costume era was so long. It really was like, what, six Six issues, five issues? Eight issues. Really? The, the initial run was, uh, that was one of the things that was interesting is it came in on 252 and we were getting such bad mail because nobody had seen it. There was just headlines in the fan press that we were going to change Spider-Man's costume. And everybody hated that idea. I hated that idea. Everybody hated that idea. But we, they were getting such negative mail that uh, Jim Shooter went into Tom DeFalco's office and said, what issue does he get the suit in? He said, 252. Get rid of it in 253. We're dying here. <laughs> and Tom said, we, we can't get rid of it in 253. And Shooter said, what do you mean we can't? And he said, because he doesn't get it until like issue eight of Secret Wars. So we can't get rid of it before he gets it yeah, in Secret Wars sense. and have it be special that he gets it in Secret Wars. Yeah, exactly. And Shooter said, okay, I can agree with that. He, but if you look at the issues, the, 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 if, not, if not the month he gets it in Secret Wars, then it was the month after he gets it in Secret Wars, we got rid of it in, in Amazing Spider-Man. The thing was, by then, all the mail was positive. Yeah. Everybody loved it. But yeah, that, that, that initial issue where he finds out it's a symbiote and gets rid of it, Reed Richards helps him get rid of it, that was all like, the month or the month after he got it in Secret Wars. But then everybody loved it. Then people started playing with the idea. I mean, it was, uh, it was Falco's idea that it was a symbiote. But it was all Dave Michelini that, you know, came up with the idea of Venom and all this kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it was all there in his plot, you know, it's, and, uh, and yeah. was, you know, if you guys had listened to I Shooter, we might, you yeah, if you'd, if you'd listened to Shooter, we might not even have Venom. That would be. Yeah, it, it might have just been misbegotten and been forgotten yeah. because, uh, you know, except people did once they saw it, once right. they stopped bitching about it, and once they saw it, they liked it. Yeah. Well, it was a similar experience when you changed Superman's costume too, right? Like uh, people, everybody hated it. Well, every, that's what I'm saying. Everybody hated it, like right from the start. Even after they saw it, everybody hated it. Nobody, I, yeah, I, a lot of people. I'm never, glad you enjoyed it, Jason. Never, but I, I took so much crap for that. I cannot tell you. I, you know, I mean, there are people that enjoyed it, and I'm happy that they did. Uh, there are even people that started reading comics because of it. You know, I, I hear about, I hear from folks on my Facebook page that that's why they started reading Superman is because something exciting was happening, you know, and they liked it. Um, Joe Jusco, the famous illustrator, Joe Jusco, he was a friend of mine. He lived in Pittsburgh here for years, was a friend of mine. He called it Super Christy Yamaguchi Man <laughs> and just busted my balls about it every chance he got. You know, the people think it looks like a speed skater or something like that, and they just don't like it. And and I get it. I mean, you know, I, like I said, I never would have, I never would have gotten up one morning and said, you know what, we need to do. We need to like completely rechange, change super as as a story, as a story concept for a year or two. I thought it was fascinating. You know, having Clark Kent learn how to deal with a different power set and all mm -hmm. this kind of stuff, you know, and, you know, people need to calm down because, you know, even though we were told this is Superman now, come on, everybody knew he was going to, yeah. at some point, probably on an anniversary issue, he was going to get back in the red and blues and everything was going to be great. You know, that kind of thing. Um, 
uh, you know, I, I think when it went to, when it went to Superman red, Superman blue, I think that scared a lot of people and they were more afraid that it was hanging on longer than they longer were comfortable, than they wanted, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, I, I took a lot of, uh, I've, I rarely meet somebody like you who was a supporter of that stuff to tell you the truth. Oh man. You know, I, I, even at that point, I guess, let's see, 97, I, I'd probably been reading comics for uh, t- almost 20 years at that point. So I was, I had been around the block enough to know that, yeah, this is, this is going to last as long as sales are really good. Sales go in the toilet. They're going to switch up and try something else, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. It's a- or, or if a major anniversary issue comes yeah. or something, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, that's what happened with um, Eric Masterson becoming Thor mm-hmm. was everybody thought it was going to go away relatively quick and they waited for every anniversary issue. And we actually passed a couple of anniversary issues without it changing back. And that's, you know, and people started to wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, what, what? Yeah. But ultimately, you know, I mean, you wait for that triumphant moment when you bring the character back to his full power. And, and uh, you know, I mean, one of the issues with, and, and again, it was because Mike Carlin was not there with his firm steering hand. And again, nothing against the editors that desperately tried to do what Mike was doing. But, you know, even if you enjoyed those stories, which which I did and you did, depending on which book you were reading, why did his powers change? Yeah. I mean, Dan, Dan Jurgens had one idea that involved candor. And then there was, you know, and then they would talk about different theories and different other ideas and everything. And, and even even to the point of how he got rid of that power and his regular powers came back, there were quite a few readers that were going, well, wait a minute, explain this to me. Why, yeah, how did was, that happen? And yeah, it's open and, for interpretation. Yeah. And quite frankly, they deserved one. And it, it was a little, they did play a little fast and loose with it story-wise, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, well, he, no, he went up in the, one went into the core, one went up into the atmosphere and there was a lot of light. And the next thing you knew, he was laying <laughs> naked in a field somewhere and he was back, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So, it's comics, you know. Yes, you gotta, and it would have yeah. helped if they would have gone with that original strange visitor idea. It would have helped explain exactly what happened. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's part of the reason I probably like it so much. So, uh, anyway, it's been great chatting with you, Ron. Uh, very informative, very fun. Uh, what are you working on uh, nowadays? What should, what should people well, be looking for? For the last couple of years, actually, I've been working with developing a series with um, a gentleman named Darren Henry out of California. And just within the last year, they've become available through uh, uh, Diamond Distribution to comic shops around the world. Before that, we were test marketing it in the tri-state area and in California and things like that, a smaller market, individual shops. And uh, it's a, a series of books. It's uh, called Binge Books, Sitcomics. Um, this gentleman was a, uh, Darren Henry was a, a sitcom writer and showrunner for years. He started out at as an intern on a little show called Seinfeld. Oh, wow. And he ended up being a showrunner for, for Disney and, and across the pond for some British TV sitcoms. Um, he actually worked with Zendaya on her Disney series uh, for, for years. Uh, and he was a child of 70s Marvel and decided he wanted to publish comic books. And he called Sal Buscema to see if he would really be willing to draw them. And Sal had retired from penciling and said, 
I'm not going to pencil, but if you get Ron Friends to draw it, I'll ink it. And, you know, I uh, worked with Darren and we developed a line of characters that are all from Darren's imagination. I came up with the, you know, we had this wonderfully creative period of time where he would, he'd come up with the character concept and he'd send me all of this disparate reference. You know, he'd go, I'm picturing like a bodysuit like this, or maybe a headpiece like this. And can you make it look like it belongs together, you know, and things like that. And it was wonderful. And we created a, a, a stable of characters, superhero characters, uh, Blue Baron, Startup, uh, a Headhunter. Uh, the, 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 the team that brings them all together is called the Heroes Union. And again, being a child of 70s Marvel, he is hiring uh, writers like Roger Stern and David Michelini and Tom DeFalco. Uh, I'm working with Sal Basema and, a, and an, anchor named, uh, an anchor illustrator named Chris Nye. Uh, who, uh, Jeff Schultz from the Archie comics is working on a, uh, a comedic vampire comic they have called Super Suckers. Uh, he has a couple other uh, uh, Richie Rich type characters and things like that, working with some of the just some terrific illustrators. Craig Rousseau is doing startup who worked on the uh, Batman animated comic for a while. And mm -hmm. uh, he's put together a real crew of, of people that I'm proud to be a part of. And uh, that's what I'm working on now. The second issue of Blue Baron is now available in comic shops worldwide. Uh, it's called the Unbeatable Blue Baron. Uh, and the first issue of Heroes Union is out by Roger Stern, myself and Sal Basema and Chris Nye. And uh, they're terrific packages. It's a, uh, 60 pages for like $4.99, I believe, $3.99 or $4.99. It's three times the, the, the content for about the same price as a wow, regular. That's comic. amazing. And, uh, you know, the, the reception so far has been great. It, it's, a, it's a tough market to crack into. Uh, we've been getting nothing but positive feedback when we can get them in front of people. So, yeah, if you can spread the word and, and uh, it's... Uh, it's fun, all ages superhero stuff, really is. And uh, again, I'm, I was fortunate to find, for have, to have Darren find me through Sal because it's right in my wheelhouse. It's the, the kind of material that I really enjoy doing. I still occasionally do shorter stories and things for Marvel. Tom DeFalco and I right now on the racks, it just came out yesterday, uh, is uh, Thor number 25 of the latest numbering we did a 10-page backup uh, featuring the Enchantress and Odin. It was a lot of fun. We got the band back together. Brett Breeding inked it. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, we've done a couple of 10-page Spider-Man stories here and there. and Actually even did a Thunderstrike two or three years ago for a one-shot called Thor the Worthy. So occasionally they call us and, you know, if there's a Spider-Girl project or something like that, and I'm doing some variant covers and things, but... Uh, you know, we did, otherwise, a we did a flash issue within the last couple of years too, right? I, I worked on two flash annuals and we also, Tom DeFalco and I did a, a, a flash inventory that as far as I know, hasn't seen print. So I'm hoping what you're talking about is one of the annuals. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, not, it, and not that I missed, not that I missed that issue. I coming. think it was, yeah, I think it was an annual. I remember uh, being in the flash museum, mirror master being there. And I, I, I didn't realize it was your art until I started reading it. I got about three pages and I was like, oh my God, this is wrong. Yeah, there, there, was, there, there were a couple of, I did layouts for one flash annual and I, uh, and I uh, penciled a part 
of another one. But it was, uh, you know, uh, uh, Brian Cunningham, when he was the editor of Flash, mm. was, uh, was, was a great support uh, to me. In fact, he still is, because uh, a lot of what I'm doing these days are private commissions. And, uh, and Brian is still, uh, you know, a regular customer as far as the private commissions. So I've always been grateful to him for the support. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had a, a great ride. I, I can't complain about it. I'm the happiest guy in the world, uh, the luckiest guy in the world, because, you know, who gets to be a little kid and say, I want to grow up and draw Spider-Man and actually ends up doing it. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, well, fun. if people want to follow along with your work, where's the best place? You have a social media presence? I have a Facebook presence where I usually talk about things and uh, let, you know, do little previews of artwork and let you know when things are going to be coming out. Um, there, there is a, uh, catskillcomics.com is where I sell whatever original art I do have left, which is not much at all, but that's where I take commissions. And, um, a gentleman named Scott Cress runs that and sitcomics.net will give you all the information you need about the various, uh, sitcomics books. And, uh, they also have a presence on Facebook as well. A couple of different, uh, uh, binge book fun pages and things like fun fan pages and things that uh, Darren Henry maintains. So uh, we're out there. If you Google me, all that stuff comes up. So uh, I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to talk about it a little bit. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. And for all you listeners, I'll put links to uh, Ron's Facebook page, the sitcomics page, um, and the uh, commission page, Catskill. Uh, as well on uh, in the show notes so if you're having trouble finding them you can just go click there uh, again ron real pleasure man uh i'll always be a fan of uh, electric blue superman i mean superman's my favorite character and it's, it was something different and fun uh and of its time and i'm i'm glad it exists and i still i will keep my fingers crossed that someday we get that first pitch idea for strange visitor man because it sounds amazing do it as an elseworlds or whatever stranger things have happened man who knows yeah. man this conversation may lead to something an editor at dc might see it who knows who knows yeah. I, I know plenty i of never, people over I never say here. never i never yeah, say I know, never in business anymore yeah i know plenty of people over there i'll put a bug in some ears and see see what we can see what we can make <laughs> okay, happen, fair so. enough uh well again ron uh real pleasure thanks for joining us to all you listeners we appreciate you uh joining and listening as always and we will talk to you next time you can find the comic source podcast on spotify apple Podcasts, stitcher google play or whichever podcasting app you prefer please tell all your friends about us subscribe and rate us the ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners especially five-star reviews on apple Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.